Blessed be the name of the Lord. This is in no way intended as a criticism. It's an observation. And it's understandable because I, I've been there. But I don't believe that there are many, very many churches that have ever seen the power of what could happen if every single person in the room would surrender themselves in worship at the same time. It's not that we don't want to worship. It's not that we have a bad spirit. Sometimes it's just life. But I wonder if we could just take about 20 seconds and just worship the Lord from the bottom of our heart. All, all of us in one mind and one accord. Hallelujah. 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 In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Oh, oh, do you feel that sweeping in? Do you feel that sweeping in? Thank you, Jesus. 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 <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Well, that's exactly what I was hoping God would do for us. I feel a sweet spirit. I feel a touch of the anointing. And I am very grateful for that because I, I feel a burden on my heart for this message. And I'd like to direct your attention to Acts chapter 11. I know Pastor has been in about a three-year series on the book of Acts. Um, and, but I am going to take us back to the book of Acts chapter 11, verse number 19. We'll read down through verse number 26. This will not be a long message, but... This might be the most important message that I have preached all year. Not that it will be the most exciting message I've preached all year, or even the best message that I've preached all year, but it might be the most important message that I've preached all year. And so I want us to be sensitive. Acts chapter 11 and verse number 19. If you have that, say amen. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which, when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem. 
And they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. I'd like to preach this title, First Called Christians at Antioch. First Called Christians at Antioch. Could we put our Bibles down? Let's lift up our hands one more time. Dear Lord, I pray that the anointing would grip our hearts. I pray that the pews would be anointed, not just this pulpit. We know your word is already anointed, but Lord, anoint these pews. Anoint our ears to hear. Anoint my mouth to speak, I pray. We give you praise. We give you praise. And everyone said in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you for standing. God bless you. You can be seated. The persecution of the early church was so severe, believers had no choice but to flee from Jerusalem into Gentile territories. Large numbers of believers headed towards Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. And they didn't just run away, though. They preached the gospel as they traveled. Everywhere they went, they would preach the gospel. And great numbers of people were saved and thriving churches were established during that time. This teaches me that revival is birthed from the ashes of persecution. The church does not need ideal circumstances to have revival. I'm going to say that again. The church does not need ideal circumstances to have revival. In fact, Difficulties produce a desperate dependency upon God that produces a climate of revival. There's something about coming to a place where you have no choice but to completely rely upon God that produces an atmosphere where the Holy Ghost can be poured out in a mighty way. Nobody likes to be persecuted. Nobody likes to go through a trial. Nobody wants to walk through the wilderness. But can I tell you, if we have to walk through the wilderness, God's going to pour the Holy Ghost out in the wilderness. If we have to go through some persecution, God's going to pour the Holy Ghost out in the midst of persecution. If the world is going to look down on us and make no mistake, the world does look down on the true church of God. It makes no difference. God is going to have a church. God is going to send revival. God is going to pour out the Holy Ghost. God is going to give us blessings pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Our surroundings, our circumstances have no bearing on what God is going to do for his church and his people. Somebody ought to shout amen. This early persecution didn't come from Rome, and it didn't come from a secular government. It came from the Jews. In fact, it came from the most devout and religious of the Jews. And their chief persecutor was a man by the name of Saul who later became known as the Apostle Paul. That's how we usually think of him. Saul 
held the coats of the men who stoned Stephen to death. And the Bible says that he approved of their actions. Saul, in his hatred, went from house to house and dragged men, women, and children from their homes and threw them into prison. He made havoc among the people. Saul wanted to rid the world of the disciples of Christ. He wasn't content just to kick them out of Jerusalem. He went from city to city. He chased them down. He went far and wide to find disciples of Christ. In Acts chapter 22, the converted Apostle Paul, writing about himself, describes how he persecuted the church. He said, I molested followers of Christ, men, women, and children, and hounded them even to their death. I wanted to bind them in chains and bring them from Damascus to Jerusalem to be beaten and thrown into prison. The Bible says Saul was so full of hate that he was breathing out threats with every breath and he desired to kill every single follower of Jesus Christ. He was full of venom, full of murder, and full of violence. He wreaked havoc upon the early church. He was so evil that even after his conversion in Acts chapter 9, Saul tried to meet with believers in Jerusalem, but they were terrified of him and they refused to even see him. And you can understand why when they heard it was Saul. Oh yeah, I'm sure he had a conversion. We're really going to go sit down with the guy who killed my neighbor the other day. You can understand why people would have been skeptical. You can understand why people would have been fearful because before he became Paul, Saul was the number one persecutor of the church. Saul was the reason saints and preachers alike fled from Jerusalem and many of them eventually made their way to Antioch, a city of about half a million people. It was a mighty city. And so the Antioch church was full of saints that had been persecuted and hounded by Saul himself. But the Antioch church grew and it prospered very quickly. And it caught the attention of the Jerusalem church, which was the main hub of revival in the early church. And when Jerusalem and Peter heard what was happening, they sent Barnabas to be their pastor. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and full of faith. And under his ministry, many more people were added to the church. Until one day, the Bible says that Pastor Barnabas abruptly went on a long journey to Tarsus, looking for an assistant pastor. Praise God. How many are thankful for assistant pastors? Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Can you imagine the first church service after Pastor Barnabas comes back home from Tarsus and he says, I have a surprise announcement for the church. I've gone a long ways and I've come back with a brand new assistant pastor for this great revival church in Antioch. And all of the sudden he brings out Saul, the one who had been the great persecutor of the church. 
Can you imagine the expression on people's faces? Many of them who had been personally hounded by Saul. Some of them, no doubt, had been maimed by his people. Some of them had lost loved ones. Some of them had seen their children. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Some of them had seen their children and their grandchildren and their babies carried away in the middle of the night by the great persecutor of the church, Saul. And there he was standing beside Pastor Barnabas. This is your new assistant pastor. He's going to preach the word. He's going to teach the word. Can you imagine? There they were, looking at their former tormentor, the very man who was the reason they had to leave their homes in Jerusalem and go all the way to a foreign city, a land full of Gentiles where they were strangers and pilgrims in a foreign place. And there is the very man who had displaced them in the first place. And now he's a minister. And now he's preaching. And now he's laying hands on the sick. And now he is with their pastor. And now he's in a position of authority, anointing and strength can you imagine in your carnal flesh if your worst enemy was brought up here by pastor french on a sunday morning and pastor french said this is your new assistant pastor some of you would be hippity hopping over to the next church as fast as you can some people get to listen to that hip-hop music you know and they Start hip-hopping from church to church. Yeah, it was a strange thing. It was inexplicable and difficult to describe. They had seen all kinds of things. In fact, the Bible tells us that some of the things that Saul did to the people were almost too difficult for us to talk about in this kind of setting. We usually gloss over that part of the story because it's hard for our brains to reconcile how evil Paul really was when he was Saul because he is the great apostle, the great missionary. He wrote the majority of the Bible that you hold in your hands tonight, the New Testament anyway. He is the great theologian, the great orator, the great speaker. He's influenced the church in countless ways, used of God in a mighty way. And yet it's hard for us to go back and realize that before he was Paul, he was Saul. And he did all kinds of terrible things. And he hurt all kinds of good apostolic people. Yes, he did. He hurt a lot of good church folks. He wreaked a lot of havoc and did a lot of damage. And it's just like God. I'm telling you, it's just like God to bring that whole story full circle. And the very people who had to flee because of his persecution are the very people who wound up sitting underneath his early ministry. And the Bible says that in that moment, in fact, I wish it would give us more details, but when you read the text, you see that they went an entire year. You don't see one word of dissent, and if there had been, we would have heard about it. 
You don't read one word of a saint getting up and saying, I'm not sitting underneath that man. We would have understood if they had done that. You don't hear a single word about someone standing up and saying, you don't realize what he did to my baby. I can't be in this church any longer. All you hear is that they continued in revival for one full year. All you hear is that the church continued on in glory and power and authority and might. All you hear is that God continued to do miraculous and powerful things within the Antioch church. And the Antioch church grew and it grew and it grew and it thrived and it became one of the most powerful influential churches in all of the early church history. And the Bible says something very interesting. You see, we use the word Christian all the time. In fact, we label just about anybody a Christian. In fact, not to be mean-spirited, this is family tonight. It's a Sunday night. I'm in family territory right now, so I'm just going to say it to you plain. We, we generously call a lot of people Christians who are not Christians. Is that okay? Yeah. We allow people to be called Christians who are not truly Christians. But the word Christian is nowhere used in all of Scripture until Acts chapter 11. No one was called a Christian. In fact, you can't find the word Christian very much in your Bible, which is kind of a strange thing to reconcile when you realize that Christian or Christianity is one of the number one identifiers that we use to talk about ourselves. And the very first church, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. The very first church, the very first group of people that were called Christians were the Christians in the Antioch church. And I'm going to tell you why I believe that is. It's because they were willing to look at Saul when he stepped in as their assistant pastor. After all of the unspeakable and despicable things that he had done. And they looked at him and they said, I forgive you. I forgive you. Now, I'm not pretending like it was easy. I'm sure it wasn't. I'm sure it was hard for many of them to forgive. But can I tell you, they did forgive. In fact, we know they forgave him because it was the Antioch church that was the church that first sent Paul on his missionary journey. They're the ones who funded it. They're the ones who took up the offering and said, whatever you need, Paul, we're going to get this together. Your burden is our burden. We want you to go preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And so they caught his vision and they gathered their money. They gave sacrificially. They anointed him with oil and said, we want you to go. There's going to be revival wherever you step foot. We believe in you, Paul. That's the heartbeat of people who said, I forgive you, sir. I've put this under the blood. I'm not going to allow this to fester in my spirit what a beautiful thing it is for people to be able to look at someone like that 
and say, I forgive you. And I'm going to preach to somebody for just a moment here and remind you that you cannot be called a Christian unless you have a heart of forgiveness. Forgiveness is the most important character trait of true disciples of Christ. They were called Christians first in Antioch because they exhibited the character trait that is the very heartbeat of Christ himself. A heartbeat that says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They remember how Jesus was hanging there broken, battered, and bloody. Blood running down his face and he said, forgive them. And they said, if Jesus could forgive those that crucified him, if he could forgive the soldiers that drove the nails into his hands, if he could forgive the soldiers that gambled for his garments at the foot of the cross, if he could forgive the soldiers that beat him until his flesh was literally hanging like ribbons from his back and his bones were showing, if he could forgive them, surely we can forgive Saul. Surely, oh, I feel a resistance. Somebody needs to lift up your hands right now. This is an important moment in the spirit. This is an important moment at Apostolic Tabernacle. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. The character trait of the people who were first called Christians was a heartbeat of forgiveness. Listen to me very, very carefully. The ability to go to church with people who have genuinely hurt you and forgive them and love them is the very definition of what it means to be Christ-like. That's hard to hear, isn't it? It is impossible to be called a Christian and have an unforgiving heart. He who has been forgiven must be willing to offer Forgiveness. To whom much is given, much is required. The Antioch church exhibited in a powerful way what it means to put real hurt. And I'm going to be open here for a moment. I'm, I'm, not talking, I'm not talking about they didn't shake my hand hurt, okay? I'm, I'm not talking about the flimsy little feelings that we all get because we're all human, I, myself included. We're, we all have the ability to be easily offended over something trivial. I'm, I'm talking about real hurt. Can we be human beings for a moment here? We're brothers and we're sisters in the Lord, but that doesn't mean we don't hurt one another once in a while. That doesn't mean we're incapable of wronging one another from time to time. What I am talking about is the ability to forgive genuine wrongs, things that really, really hurt 
hurt. Listen, if you have a family in the natural, you understand that families hurt one another once in a while. And the only way that a family can be strong and survive is for them to have a heart that says, you know what? I hate it that this happened, but you're my brother and I love you. I hate it that it had to be this way. You really broke my heart. You hurt me. And it's hard for me to let it go. But you're my family and I love you in spite of it. And yet we have a hard time carrying that mentality to the family of God. But you are my brother in the blood. You are you're covered in the blood of Jesus the blood of Jesus makes us family the blood of Jesus makes us one and so every once in a while I have to look at somebody who stabbed me in the back and I mean really stabbed me in the back and I have to say in order for me to be called a Christian I have to be willing to forgive you and love you well I'll forgive them as long as I never see them used no that's not what I'm talking about I'm talking about the kind of forgiveness that can look at a Saul on the platform and say I'm going to keep on praising God I'm going to keep on loving Jesus I'm going to keep on being faithful it doesn't matter because it's under the blood it's under the blood it's under the blood. Somebody needs to lift up your hands and put some things under the blood right now. The blood of Jesus covers a multitude of sins. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Let me just be real. We're family and I'm preaching to family right now. Why is it that we're quicker to forgive unbelievers than we are believers? Oh, yeah. Some of y'all don't want to admit that. Some of y'all shaking. It's absolutely true. Some of you would forgive an unbeliever and you wouldn't speak to a believer for three years. We, I rebuke that spirit in Jesus name. I'm not telling you to be ugly to unbelievers, but I'm telling you, you need to carry that same grace that you take out there and you need to bring it in the four walls of the church and say, you're my brother and I love you. I choose to love you. You're my sister and you wrong me, but I choose to love you. I choose to forgive forgive you because unity and revival and me being right with God is more important than anything else in this world they were called Christians first Christians first at Antioch as the musicians come I'm very very excited we have a baptism tonight brother Lou and Felipe and Sister Marcella are all going to be baptized in Jesus' name tonight. Somebody ought to clap your hands and give God praise. Stand with me all across the building. I'm closing. I want to read Acts chapter 7 to you and verse 58 as I close. It's the story of the stoning of Stephen. And they cast Stephen out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he called upon God saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And Stephen kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. While Stephen was being stoned to death, he forgave them. But preacher, I'll forgive when they repent. No, no, no. While they were stoning him to death, Father, 
Lay not this sin to their charge. Do you know what he was doing? He was being a Christian. Do you know what it really means to be a Christian? It means to do what Jesus did and what he told us to do. And if you want to do what Jesus did, you have to be willing to say, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Sometimes you pray it this way. Sometimes you say, Lord, take this cup from me. But he doesn't always take it when we want him to. In fact, sometimes he makes us drink it. Sometimes he makes us pick up our cross. So I'm preaching to somebody. He makes us carry it up Golgotha's hill. And he makes us forgive when it's painful. But I'll tell you what happens when you forgive. You have a resurrection in your spirit. I said you get a resurrection in your spirit. Ha <laughs> ha Bitterness will keep you in the grave, but forgiveness will raise you out. Forgiveness will roll away obstacles that have you bound. Because unforgiveness only hurts you. Unforgiveness doesn't hurt the person casting the stone. It only hurts you. But forgiveness releases your spirit. How many truly want to be a Christian tonight? The number one hindrance to revival is disunity. The number one cause of disunity is unforgiveness. My prayer going into a new year, it's not that we're not going to hurt one another. It's not that there aren't going to be wrongdoings. But I'll tell you what will right all wrongs is when we have a heart that says, Lord, I forgive. I wonder if there's someone who would just come to this altar and say, Brother Ryan, I know sometimes it's hard, but I want to have a heart of forgiveness. I want to be like the Antioch Church. I want to be quick to forgive. I want to be willing to put things under the blood. There's some people who ought to be running to this church. You ought to just come and forgive somebody right now. There's some people who ought to run to this altar and say, Lord, I forgive. I forgive, Lord. I forgive. I forgive. Oh, there's about to be a release of unity in this place. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.